We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we are here to do a couple things. One, I want to continue with our review of the 2022 draft class, Joe Shane and Brian Dable's first class. Most capital, they'll probably have in any draft. I would imagine that could change, but you don't see many draft classes where you get five and seven. The draft points alone for those two picks, including the extra third round pick they got from the Dolphins, which we discussed Yes, on the last podcast, we're going to talk about the rest of the class. We're also going to talk about some things we learned from the Super Bowl and a little bit of a Super Bowl recap. So, first of all, Nick, how was it watching, uh, you know, enjoying Super Bowl week and being down in Arizona where they actually hosted the Super Bowl? It was fantastic, Dan. Thank you for asking. There were so many people in town, right? I went downtown. I think it was Thursday. Met up with a bunch of Blue Wire guys. Hung out. It was fun. Then the next day, I ended up going to the Waste Management Open, watching some golf. I'm telling you, man, there were thousands of people at that event. And I like golf, but I don't know if I could sit there and just watch it unless I'm enjoying a couple bevies, which... I wasn't that day, so I was just like, okay, when are we getting out of here? But it was a fun experience overall. It was a pretty jam-packed weekend, and I also wanted to get a bunch of film in, too, you know, watching college prospects, because we're uh, fast approaching talking about the 2023 NFL draft, Dan, and I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah, that's going to be exciting for sure. And the actual Super Bowl was an amazing game, right? That was one of the best Super Bowls we've had, I think, in in recent years. not only that, it was exciting for all fans because there was a lot of points and a lot of offense and a lot of scoring in general. And, of course, for our sake and for the sake of those who listen to this podcast, the right team won. The Kansas City Chiefs won this football game. And weirdly enough, oddly enough, two of the biggest factors in their win were two players who were on the Giants roster last year. One, who they used first-round draft capital <laughs> on, Gadaris Tony, who returned the punt um, with just a unbelievable punt return there like yeah i know he obviously also had the touchdown that was better just really just well schemed up play didn't really do much on it but the punt return the way he reversed field on that that was the special change of direction skills that you know not many people have and then ultimately of course in the last drive uh james bradbury making the hold call that you know takes it from a field goal attempt the chiefs probably would have made to go up three but it still would have been 148 left in the clock no timeouts that's a lot of time for Hurts to get into field goal range especially with his ability to run at the minimum field goal range to a game that was essentially over that call and after the game james bradbury said it was the right call i and that thank god he said that because i don't know why he said that because now that he said that philly fans would have probably burned the city down if he didn't say that now it's kind of like 
They can complain about the game all they want, but their own player said it should it should have been a hold and it was the right call. Said he grabbed the jersey, which by the rules impedes the receiver from kind of making that whip route and getting out clean, uh, completing that route. Whatever it may be, they threw the flag and that kind of decided the game. But it is interesting how those two players who were just on the Giants last year made such big impact in the Super Bowl game. New York Giants have to have some kind of imprint in a Super Bowl game held in Phoenix. At yeah, that otherwise, what else would Giants Twitter talk about? The next stupid Daniel Jones debate that we see every single day from some. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I could have gone a lot of directions there. I didn't have that one planned, though. If I did, Nick, I might have gone to the. Uh, I'm not even going to say this podcast. Let's roll on. <laughs> funny account. Yeah. Giants Twitter has been very funny lately. Let's just say that. I mean, a lot of a lot of nonsensical comments. But well, it's, it makes sense. Look, it's a dead time for Giants. We need to wait for these John tracks to, to, to drop, right? We need to wait for the news to drop on the deals. And obviously with Mike Kafka, we're waiting that one out too. But yeah, two big impact plays from those Giants. Kadarius Tony, man. I mean, that that one route was really just great scheming by Andy Reid, but he can sell that route so well. And we saw Sky Moore do the same exact thing on the very next drive that was set up from Kadarius Tony's pump return. But the offensive line, too, the Chiefs, we, we 70 sacks this season by the Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't sack Pat Mahomes, what, one time? I don't think. They got a couple hits on him, but Pat Mahomes was just phenomenal in this game, man. And that goes without saying. That's not groundbreaking type of stuff right there. Patrick Mahomes is incredible. And I'm just so glad that he was able to hoist the Lombardi and not the Philadelphia Eagles. Albeit, I'll say this, dude. I really do like Jalen Hurts and I love his development and it sucks that he's on the Eagles. Similar to Dak Prescott. Like I like Dak Prescott too, but he's on the Cowboys. So it's like, I got to hate this guy. And I do, but I'm very glad that the obnoxious Eagles fans that were in downtown Phoenix the entire weekend, bro, at the waste management open, doing everything, you know, just so loud, just screaming the Eagles fly, Eagles fly thing the entire weekend left upset probably drunk on their flights good for them yeah that is good for everyone actually and i think you know when you look at a game like this any every year it's it's a good exercise for us to look at this game and take a look at the two teams playing in it and then try to evaluate what these rosters have what these franchises have that maybe the giants do not don't or what they have that maybe the giants can aspire to be those types of things and one thing that was my first takeaway you just touched on it briefly was just how dominant the offensive lines play offensive line Lions play was from both sides of the football. You mentioned the Chiefs. The Eagles came into this thing with a historical number of sacks on the year. That defensive line was wreaking havoc against the Giants in the divisional round. And in this game against this Chiefs offensive line that has Creed Humphrey, a center who you loved and we liked a lot in the Big Blue Banter podcast, didn't get a chance to get. The Chiefs drafted him in like the mid 50s. I think they were either 62, 63, maybe Something overall. Like immediately one of the best centers in the NFL. Trey Smith, who they got deep on day three deep is now like one of the best guards in the NFL immediately when they had an issue at left tackle, they went out and got Orlando Brown. I know they might lose him next uh, this off season, but they had him for this super bowl. He made a big impact. They also signed Joe Thune immediately when he had freezer market and he was young star guard. He was like the guy, the, the prize piece of that market. And it's not like, it's not just a good move because you went out and you got the prize piece offensive lineman in that market. He also fit the bill of what you want, right? Only off that rookie contract. You don't, a lot of these, like when we see free agency, even this year, there really isn't a guard or interior offensive lineman on the market like Joe Tooney. There wasn't one last year either. It's kind of rare that these things happen. You know, it's not every offseason. So when you do get those kind of rare guys who hit the market, Seitler was one of them originally in his first deal when he left the yeah. Bengals. Who did he sign with the first team? Browns, right? Yeah. Browns, he yep. first signed with the Browns. That was another one where it's like, Dude's healthy coming off a rookie deal. There's really no reason not to invest in him. It's almost like what we would be doing by re-signing Andrew Thomas, which the Giants will eventually do. So they put a lot of resources into that offensive line. It was the big deciding factor in this game, I think, by far, because historic team Eagles, 
historic team of sacks didn't get any pressure on Mahomes. It's also partly the scheme too, right? The game plan. The idea was like, we didn't see that many vertical shots from this chief's offense in this game. Marquez Valdez Scantling wasn't a big part of this game. There wasn't really a bomb to Justin Watson. There wasn't a vertical route to Juju besides that one in the hold at the end of the game. A lot of it was intermediate. A lot of it was get the ball out. Um, a lot of it was scheme. And so they obviously didn't want to give that defensive line a chance to make an impact in this game. No, and Orlando Brown, too. We can't forget about him. And I yeah. think one thing that we can look at, if we want to relate it to the New York Giants, is just two years ago, yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs, they made the Super Bowl, but their biggest Achilles heel was the fact that their offensive line sucked. Now, they had some injuries, to be fair, but their offensive line was bad the entire season. And Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey carried them to a Super Bowl. And then Shaq Barrett and the Buccaneers defense shut them down. Two years later, here we are. That offensive line averaged 6.1 yards per carry. The Chiefs were effectively running the football down the Eagles' throats throughout this game. Now, if you're the Eagles, you have to guard against Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes. You have to guard against a lot. There's no doubt about it. But, man, the way they were able to really employ that rushing attack with Isaiah Pacheco, another day three running back pick who looks like he shot out of a cannon every time he touches the football, yeah. it's really impressive. And going forward, whether the Giants sign Barkley, whether they don't sign Barkley, whatever, right? We'll put that aside for now, building an offensive line similar to how the Chiefs built that offensive line, maybe not even huge free agent acquisitions, but just getting the right pieces in place can take the Giants to that next level. And that's just something that we can all at least hope for. And that's something that can possibly start in this draft. I don't know if the Giants are going to be allocating huge contracts to free agents. I don't know if they're going to be in that position, especially along the offensive line, but Look to the draft, man. The Giants have a bunch of draft capital, and hopefully some of the picks that maybe we'll be going over a little bit later will also have some sort of impact for the Giants' offensive line moving forward. Yeah, because two of the players who they have, like, just looking at it from like a holistic standpoint, one of the reasons it's the Chiefs' offensive line, we don't have to go over the Eagles and what they've done with their offensive line, but it's worth noting both of these teams had dominant offensive lines. But two of the players that, that have really hit so well on the Chiefs' offensive line were players that were drafted in almost the exact same range as the two offensive linemen the Giants drafted this past year, right? Like Zudu was pretty close to when they got Creed Humphrey, if not a few picks apart. And um, McKeithen, who the Giants selected this past draft, was pretty close to where the Chiefs got Trey Smith. So it's doable in that range. You just have to have massive hits like the Chiefs obviously got with those two. The Giants selected Gary Brightwell and Rodarius Williams above Trey Smith, too. Yeah, they weren't going to draft Trey Smith. They're, they're, we're not the only team that did it, though. It's like a million teams missed on Trey Smith. Well, it's 100% medical. Like, Trey Smith was a highly regarded five-star prospect who went to the University of Tennessee, bounced around from tackle to guard, but he had blood clots in his lungs, so he was just completely off a lot of medical boards. But this goes to something that you've said before on the podcast, and I agree with it to a certain extent. Take those risks on day three, right? Take those medical risks on day three, and they can hit. And talk about the value that the Chiefs got out of that Trey Smith selection. You're talking about an offensive guard now who's playing at a Pro Bowl level that you got late on day three you insert him into that lineup and look at the impact that he is having for that team take those risks instead of drafting you know where Darius Williams is a fine player but instead of drafting the likes of guys like Darius Williams who was like 26 years old when the Giants right. drafted him anyways yeah it's you, you know how I feel about that I mean you look you have a chance when you don't go that upside route you have a chance to find like the core special teamer who gives you a million special team snaps grades out well the coaches love him he can sometimes step in on the field on defense or offense and do something but I, com I almost compare it to like fantasy football, Nick, like this past year, 
a lot of people think about the people who drafted DeAndre Hopkins versus the people who didn't draft him, knowing he was going to miss a few games to the suspension. In that same range, people are drafting like the Allen Lazards of the world over DeAndre Hopkins. And you know that that ceiling is so capped with a player like Lazard because he's not a good actual football player versus a Hopkins where you have the injury, you have the thing weighing over Trey Smith, like the medical history. Maybe he will bust. And it's different with Hopkins. It was suspension, not injury. But I'm talking about more of the players who get injured. Maybe they will bust. But if they bust, so what? It's a fifth or sixth round pick. These are mostly bust anyway or just like the special teams guys like cam brown and carter coughlin who are like on the giants roster but we can find a cam brown and a carter coughlin anywhere but can you find a trey smith anywhere no of course you can't so that's basically where i'm at with that with that type of those gambles and maybe at some point joe shane will be the type that makes those gambles well that was my next question to you is do yeah. you think joe shane will buck that trend right because that's some smart point. talking to Right. It's yeah. smart, tough and dependable, but there's calculated risks that you can take late on day three with right. high upside. And I feel like Joe Shane is the progressive minded general manager type who will execute on those high risk, high reward type of players. At least that's what I hope. Right. It just makes sense because yeah. the Chiefs, that's an absolute grand slam landing that pick. And I feel like he already made one of those types of swings. So I feel, first of all, with smart, tough, dependable, I hope that's the mantra for day one and two. I don't want that to be the mantra for day three. I mean, I do. Like, if you can get it, great. Yeah. But I want talent to be the real thing. I'm, like, upside to be. I'm. This is just me. I don't care what you, Shane may have a whole different plan for this, but I would want to swing for upside on day three. I'd rather find the Trey Smith once of every 10 years than a million Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin type, Dane Belton types, like, personally. Because I'm just waiting for the – those guys, I think you can get in free agency, undrafted free agent. You find a Fabian Moreau on the waiver wire in week one or whatever it is. Like you get those types of like average Jag type players in a lot of different ways. Trey Smith's, you don't get. There's very hard to find those types of players that make that kind of impact. But with that said, I almost feel like they kind of made those gambles this year with Flot and Azudu, two players who really were younger. They have big, tr big time traits, I think, both of them, especially Azudu. So those, and they also fit the smart, tough, and dependable. So they kind of like, that's probably why he loved those picks so much. He's like, I can see the, the room for growth and the upside with these two. And they also have my smart, tough, dependable thing. So, you know, I think it'll be a balancing act with him and we'll have to see how it goes. But there also one thing to note is the chiefs were in a different spot when they drafted Trey Smith, right? Their roster was yeah. already in place. Mahomes is there that we were a rebuilding team from very scratch. This, this first draft for Shane, but I thought that was definitely notable. And in, 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 in like kind of conjunction with that, Nick, it's like, we talk all season about, okay, the Eagles historic defensive line with these sacks. They have a pretty damn good secondary. Then you hear like Ayuk and Debo Samuel, like, I don't know. When you watch the tape, there are some holes with the way those coverages have been played by the Eagles. And when we watch the Giants Eagles tape, Nick, what do we see? A lot of chances for you to beat that Eagles secondary with double move. So I did lose one bet. I thought Mahomes would hit over 37 and a half longest completion. Pretty sure I lost that one. There wasn't really any bombs in this game. I just felt like they get burned by a double move. And that wasn't the chief strategy. But having said that, with all that, we can focus all we want on this historic defensive line from the Eagles, the Chiefs pass rush. The Eagles linebackers kind of underrated. The Eagles secondary. Chiefs OJ McDuffie's playing with all these different factors. But it was a 38-35 game in the end, right? One other thing I took away from this game is offense is still king in the NFL. I if I'm I've always said this. If I was a general manager, I'd probably do like a 65-35 split with my cap. 65% of my cap would go to offense. 35% would go to the defense side of the ball. And I could get even more crazy and wide with that personally because this is just this game in the end, like to get to this game and win the Super Bowl we're seeing more and more the best offense or the most successful offense at that time are the ones coming away with these wins. 
See, you say that, but then if we go back a couple years, the Rams Patriots. Remember Sean McVay? That, that I know was, Ram Patriot game, yeah, from yeah, a few years back. Yeah, but that's that also was, a game where it's like Rams offense was amazing all year, and Belichick had the perfect game plan to stop that style of offense. Yep. So it's like kind of situational in that spot. And you're always there's always going to be outliers, right? The the, yeah. the Panthers Broncos game from ten years mm-hmm. ago, the Ravens Giants from two thousand. Like one set of every ten or twelve, the outlier starts coming in, but. If you don't want to be the outlier, which I don't think any of us want to be, and you really shouldn't strive to be, you need to have a really good offense to, to get to keep to keep this momentum going, to keep getting yourselves in position to win NFC championships and Super Bowls. Because look at what happened in this game. The Eagles defense was great all year and they gave up 38 points. And I know one of those was a fumble six, but still a lot of points in this game. And I want to talk about that fumble six, but yeah, on the flip side, you can also say, like, without Chris Jones, the Chiefs aren't even in this position because they probably right. don't get past the Bengals. So there's still those two things are still it's like a weighted, right? You know, and Eagles defense was dominant against the Giants and pretty damn good until yeah. Purdy got hurt. I don't really count what happened after Purdy, but yeah, they, they had it. Like, I don't want to take anything away from the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they probably have the most complete roster in the NFL, but they had a pretty easy damn path to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. But that's not their fault, right? You just play who is on your schedule. Right. So I don't want to hold it against the NFC. Them just kind of sucks right now. Like, it does. generally <laughs> speaking, the NFC just kind of sucks. So that fumble six, man. Look, I, I love looking at little plays that no one's going to discuss. But yeah. the third and one before that, you know that the Chiefs, I mean, the Eagles are going to pick that up with the Jalen Hurts quarterback sneak. That they might have to change a rule for that because it's <laughs> yeah. almost automatic one yard every single third time, if not point. more. Isaac Siamalu, bro, had a false start on that that set up that yeah. third and five yeah. that resulted in the fumble six. Could you imagine if he just didn't false start there or if it wasn't right. perceived because the Chiefs were like pointing at him and the refs didn't really call it initially and then they did you imagine man that could have changed the entire course of these two franchises and Patrick Mahomes legacy and career it's just wild to think that that one mistake could have been something and I know there's like 80 90 games or plays in a game so whatever I don't want to like say Mm. that's the only reason but damn dude the next play is a fumble six and that really swung the momentum just like the Kadarius Tony punt that swung the momentum again too so it's just fascinating to think about it like that great second half team this this week from the or this game from the Chiefs like they dominated that second half the Eagles were up 10 after the first half it felt like I was not feeling good about the game at all I felt like the Eagles had a really good chance to win that football game uh and it then was second- Andy Reid though I was just like Andy Reid yeah. like I, I tried to remain yeah. optimistic I, I'm similar to you though I'm I like, remained I'm optimistic but I also know like I'm not I love Andy Reid for who he is which is like in my opinion the best offensive play designer and things like that I don't love him as an in-game coach. Like I personally would have went for it on fourth and three before that 42 yard field goal they missed. And everyone, some of my friends were like, no, you got to take the points. And I'm like, it's Patrick Mahomes. We have to keep considering like Mahomes is going to get the three yards when they went up seven or to, and kick the extra point to go up eight. I'm never kicking that extra point there. I'm going for two, trying to get the nine point lead. Worst case scenario, the Eagles are down seven. Now they're not going to go for two. They're just yeah. going to take the extra point. Like with Patrick, the key thing is here. One, you have Patrick Mahomes. Two, you probably have the best play design on short yardage. Go need, need to get, you know, got to have it plays. So you have the best play designer for those plays and the best quarterback to run those plays. Get aggressive and call it and keep it going there to me. So I didn't like him going for that field goal. They obviously doinked it, but like I just had a bad feeling if the game was close, it was going to be super conservative read. Um, so I, it is what I mean. He's an amazing coach. He's going to go down now as one of the best, if not the best of all time. Some people, I heard people today saying he's now the best of all time. Uh, I don't think that's I true. I mean, it's just overreaction. Out. Overreaction, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I love Andy Reid. Don't get me wrong, but I'll say yeah. this though, dude. Andy Reid in the past has been chastised, rightfully so, for straying away from the run, for getting too pass happy. True, right? And then like he would come out in his press conference, been like, "Oh, I should have given the ball more." You know, we lost. 
this game, 15 carries for a rookie third third day pick in the draft, 76 yards. Isaiah Pacheco, man, he didn't stray away. And those were close. It was a close game. It's not like they were bleeding the clock. So yeah. that third one, that buck sweep that he ran with uh with uh, both the guards pulling, yeah. kicking out in the face, Sky Moore through that key block. He took out TJ Edwards and that cornerback. That was a beautifully designed play. And buck sweep was a play that we ran a lot at Lenape Valley Regional High School where I went to school. So I know if my head football coach is still around and, and watching football. He's probably smiling ear to ear right now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, and it's cool to see a team like the Chiefs come out with that at kind of a time. Not that you might not expect that that time based on down and distance, but just something that you don't expect to always see from that kind of offense. They're always kind of have that in their game plans all the time. They're creating things. They're so creative the way they run that offense. And that's another thing to really consider. It's another thing these two teams had in common. Neither team made any major. I mean, the Chiefs made one, but neither team had any major investment running back leading the way here as a Pacheco seventh round pick similar to Ahmad Bradshaw here. And yes, they did burn a first round pick on Clyde Edwards, Alaire. They felt at the time like they could, but he didn't make any impact at all on this game. On the flip no. side, Miles Sanders didn't make much of an impact on the game for the Eagles. It was really Gainwell who had the best game there for out of those backs. And he's a day three pick that they were able to, you know, pay 800 K for against the cap or whatever it is right now. Miles Sanders is a free agent. They're not going to pay him. There's 0% chance he's returning to the Eagles. Z literally zero. Arrowsman doesn't mess around like that. So, I mean, look, we have the dominant offensive lines in this game. We have two great quarterbacks. And I think Mahomes is much better than, than Hertz, even though Hertz had a phenomenal game. I mean, great game. Talked about like the third and 14 to Dallas Goddard. Somebody in the replies today was like, that's that's a terrible throw. It's a dangerous throw. And it was a great catch by the receiver. I'm like, what? What are we? We can't even give him credit for that unreal tight window ball. He fit in between the safe. Like that was an amazing throw. He threw on third yep. and 14 to Goddard. And he wasn't his only good throw of the game either. That was the best throw by any quarterback, but he had a great game. But either way, the two things are the offensive line was dominant and the quarterbacks were dominant in this game. Specifically, you want to make your own opinion on them to, you know, in a vacuum fine. But in this game, they were great. And the line was great. That's kind of what you need. Right. And how do you get that? I don't know that the route is spending money at the running back position. That's always the argument. Unfortunately, if the Giants sign Barkley, it is what it is. I don't want to be painted in this. I if they don't if they sign yeah. Barkley, I'm so angry because it is what it is. Like I can't control this stuff. It's just I'm trying to give kind of a reason for why I'm not really interested in paying running back any running back a second contract. Yeah, and that's something we've stated yeah. several times on this podcast. But one more thing before we start talking about the 2022 rookie class, the back end for the New York Giants, because we already did two podcasts on that is the linebackers of the Chiefs, man, and how Another that could of the New York Giants, bro. Those were all yeah. just day two picks, like Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. Those guys had phenomenal games, and I would love for the New York Giants to find just some players like that because what they were able to do against the zone read and how disciplined they were, stopping what the Eagles have had success with throughout the entire season, it was awesome to see, bro. It was awesome to see, and I just hope that the Giants can get linebackers like that. And Willie, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton are two players that we've discussed ourselves and we talked about potentially the Giants drafting in each class. We did either draft profiles on them or put them on sleeper list. But I am definitely curious if you were trolling me here by not mentioning my boy here, Leo Chanel. Oh, yeah, Leo. I wasn't trolling. I had a really yeah. good game in this one. And I'm now trying to find where I just tweeted about the stats here so I can give the listeners an idea of what I'm talking about. Yeah, he led. Oh, let's see what it says. Oh, I love this. One sack for Chanel. Four defensive stops, four count them. That's PFF. That means a stop for a negative gain or zero. Four of them, a sack and an 82.9 run defense grade. 
everything I'm reading about him is that people are loving him. So all three of those players are players we wanted the Giants to get. Hopefully at some point, this is the regime that starts to invest in linebackers. Yeah, Chanel. Yeah, how did I forget that? Because we were all over that last offseason. Yes. Absolutely lovely, oh, Chanel. It was great to see him out there balling with Bolton and Gabe. And those are three really young linebackers they have there that they can run in nickel sub packages and they can cover. They can do so many different things. Chanel, maybe not as much as yeah. Bolton and Gay, but damn, dude. It's just something that I'm hoping we say. I just feel like we've been discussing this since like Carl Banks played for the New York Giants. It's been a long time. Not really, but yeah. Antonio Pierce was phenomenal for the Giants. But damn, dude, such a need. It's so odd, too, how like Dave Gettleman made it one of his tenants to stop the run. But like his plan at linebacker was to trade for Ogletree, who was never a run stopping linebacker. No. Right. Like he racked up sacks as a weak side. Like, I mean, not sacks, tackles. And by like the home charting gave him like 10, you know, <laughs> they called it a tackle. It's yeah. not. But he was not like an inside linebacker who's good against a run or anything like that. And that so it's interesting to see their plans for getting that run defense good. But yeah, of course, um, that's something we'll keep an eye on. So we got the linebackers, the running backs, the offensive line, the quarterbacks. I feel like we've covered pretty much everything I learned from the game. What about you, Nick? And Tyreek Hill wasn't there. It didn't matter. Kansas City Chiefs well, still found a Well, that's really interesting. The Chiefs receivers didn't make much of an impact on this game at all. How about that, no. right? Like, everyone says you need star receivers to win in the NFL. You need star receivers because you need a breakout passing game. I know Kelsey's there, so not trying to knock, and Kelsey's awesome. But outside of Kelsey, no one really made an impact on this Chiefs offense from a receiving standpoint. Now, Juju had a couple of nice plays, but you're right. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't anything miraculous or anything like that from the wide receiver specifically. It just seemed like it was well-coached, well-schemed up X's and O's from one of the best offensive coaches in the history of the NFL and one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL with yeah arguably the best tight end in the history of NFL. So like they yeah. relied on that along with a really good offensive line and an opportunistic defense and it ended up working out. Yep, it did. All right, let's move it forward here. Let's get back into the discussion of the Giants 2022 class. We start this one with the first pick they made on day three. My favorite pick of the draft in general from a pure value standpoint, the player who I'm probably highest on moving forward from a value standpoint. And that's Daniel Bellinger, the tight end, San Diego State. He, in his first season, ultimately carved out what was essentially a you know full-time starting role. By the time we got to the playoffs, and that was after the injury, too, to his eye where he missed a bunch of time. But when they got to the playoffs, he was becoming a player who just doesn't come off the field. And you don't see that that often from rookie tight ends. Usually, we have when we see rookies come into the NFL at the tight end position, there is a bit of a learning curve. You start to see, I just look around the NFL. Some of these other rookies have like 35, 40% snap shares. Sometimes they move up to the 60 range. You rarely see what happened with Bellinger. And a big reason for that is his ability to block. He immediately came in as not a liability, but someone you can count on as a blocker. And that gave him the opportunity to earn such a high target share for me with Bellinger. What has me most excited is I think there's still a lot of meat on the left on the bone as far as what he can do as a receiver toward the end of the season. When we saw the Giants start to move to more 11 personnel, more shotgun, more of a pass first attack. I started to see some routes creep into this game, into uh, into the Giants offense with Daniel Bellinger that were vertical, but vertically oriented routes. There were some seam routes he ran where I thought he ran them well. Ball didn't come his way. Ball could have came his way. There was one in the red zone. They ultimately threw uh, kind of a backside dig to Hodgins, or maybe it was a slant to Hodgins when Bellinger was open up the seam. You could go either way with it, but the point is Bellinger got open. I still think there's a lot of meat on the bone, like I said, with him as a receiver. That's what has me excited. The blocking, I think we've seen kind of what that's going to be and that's only going to get better with technique but the receiving to me nick has a lot we we have a lot more room to grow there 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and let's not forget, he's coming from San Diego State. That is not a powerhouse school or a powerhouse tight end, pass first type of program. No, he was a blocker. And I feel like to touch on his blockings, I think you brought up a lot of great points in terms of what he can do potentially as a receiver. He's not an elite athlete. He's not going to be Evan Ingram out there. But I do believe in terms of his brains, his spatial awareness, and all the things that I feel like are really important in a Brian Dable offense, he already possesses that. And now I feel like you can just develop a more dynamic game plan for him, and he could still execute that despite not being an elite athlete at the position. But in terms of his blocking, I recently wrote a piece for Big Blue View. I encourage everyone to go over there and read it if you guys want to. It's basically about the diverse rushing attack of the New York Giants in 2022. And I go through all the type of rushing concepts that they had, you know, inside zone, duo, outside zone, power lead, you know, G lead, all of them. I just break them down, have clips. I saw so much Daniel Bellinger tape recently that I just fell in love again, Dan, because that guy was executing so many different, I would say very difficult assignments for a rookie freaking tight end in the NFL in terms of blocking. And it's just wildly impressive because it's not just on the line of examples of what of what kind of stood out to you in that regard. All right. So duo runs, right? Duo runs are typically ran towards the tight end side. So you need a tight end who can block. One reason why the Giants sucked at running duo with Jason Garrett, who, if you go back to his days with Jason Witten as his tight end, ran duo a lot was because Evan Ingram couldn't block in line and you run duo towards the tight end side. Daniel Bellinger was standing up with like Montez Sweat and holding up the point of attack against guys like that. It's not always going to be perfect, but all you had to do was lose slowly enough. And he was able to do that. He was able to pull and be that sniffer on counter and things like that. He would pull, he would kick out, he would locate. I mean, you can go to week one against Tennessee, that one play where it was a, it was a power lead concept where the center and the play side guard kick off into space. Mark Lewinsky climbed up to the second level, picked up, um, I think it was Bayard or Hooker the safety for the Tennessee Titans. 
Daniel Bellinger was the, the run was to the close side, which is the tight end side. He climbed up to the second level, located that backside safety, and just eliminated him from the play. He's making plays on the line of scrimmage as a blocker at that second level, and even picking up safeties to spring 60-yard runs for Saquon Barkley. And he was doing it as early as week one in the NFL. I just feel like as a blocker, you need to have, a, or as a tight end, you need to be able to block to carve out a long career if you're not an elite athlete like an Evan Ingram or a player like that. And Daniel Bellinger already has that. And like you said, he's more than likely only going to improve in terms of his technique from a blocking standpoint. And I still feel like there's a lot of meat on the bone for what he can do as a receiver. Just going through all that tape last night, I did. Just going through it all, I was just like, man, I, I really appreciate what this young man has done as a blocker. And I'm just very excited about it. But please, everyone, go read that. It's on Big Blue View. It dropped Monday morning. Yeah, and that's really exciting to hear, Nick, because the diversity in what he was able to do as a blocker shows not only that he has the ability, but also the mental capacity and the awareness and kind of all the traits you need up here in your head to execute early on in the NFL, different kinds of blocking concepts that maybe he saw at San Diego State and maybe they used them on, but maybe they didn't very often. And maybe he was just able to pick it up. He was taught it in camp or whenever they went over it and just snap his fingers. He's able to execute it in the game when the bullets are flying. And I think it has me most excited because I've seen so many of the opposite kind of tight ends come and go, you know, the Beckhams, the Ingrams, the guys who have crazy speed, crazy athleticism. You're supposed to use them as mismatches against linebackers, find the mismatch. These guys are lengthy. They're kind of big slot receivers and they don't really have the frame to block. You can't really use them much in the, in the blocking game. Maybe you can occasionally use them on a duo and hope they do their best, but I would rather have the other side of it, the Bellinger side of it, the guys who are already proven as blockers who are already executing, like you said, a variety, variety and diversity in their game as blockers and then maybe you get more out of the pass game and I think there is more because one thing that we already know he does really well as a receiver because not only did his coaches but Daniel Jones his quarterback made mention of it multiple times is his spatial awareness and that's something that yeah. kind of you never know like why is Dalton Schultz randomly good in the NFL Dalton Schultz to me doesn't have much athleticism he's already had I believe a lower body injury he needed surgery from but you can don't quote me on that. I know he had one in major injury that he had surgery on. I don't remember now which one it was. But to me, when I watch him, he doesn't strike me as any kind of great athlete. But he does a really good job when I watch him of using his body to box out defenders or finding the right space within zone to cat to or working back to the quarterback. And that's something that Daniel Jones made mention about Daniel Bellinger in this season. Like he did a great job of finding those soft spots in the zones and his spatial awareness and knowing where to be on the football field to be a quarterback's best friend. So we already know for starters, we have a prospect who's really good already as a blocker and is operating a wide variety of roles. And he's really good at finding space. And in addition to all of that, you want to add a third thing that he's already doing well as a, as a player in the NFL, despite only being a rookie and a fourth round pick. And that's hands. He didn't really have that. I can remember. Did he have a drop all year? I don't know if I even remember one drop pass. I think he was credited for one by pro football focus, but I think he also might've had one against Dallas that he wasn't credited for. Maybe it was called was it an Aaron pass, but one? it hit him in the hands, but he had like a 95% catch rate okay. up until the playoffs. And right now I'm going to pull up pro football focus. He had a catch rate of 86.8, like very sure handed. And yeah. he is where he's supposed to be. Now they're not targets that are necessarily difficult to, uh, difficult to catch because they're not really far downfield. They're more simplistic, right. you know, closer to the line of sc scrimmage. But at the same time, he's just a reliable outlet for Daniel Jones. And that's something we right. saw the entire year.
Yeah, exactly. So we've already got great hands, already great spatial awareness, quarterback's best friend, find a soft spot zone, and a blocker. Like That's a prospect I'm very excited about moving forward. I think there's a chance that Bellinger could actually be, depending on where this offense goes and how big of a jump Daniel Jones can take as they improve around him. Like, say they they say they re-sign Jones for the five years or let's whatever the contract is, Jones evolves into this amazing top five, top ten quarterback. The Giants are past first team like they've always wanted them to be. I can see a role. I can see a, you know, a world where that all is happening. Daniel Bellinger is so good by that point as a blocker that he's still commanding what he got at the end of this year, which is 94% snap shares, right? So he's on the field for every snap. And the dude racks up like 800, 900 yards with like eight TDs, like Dawson Knox. Like Dawson Knox is racking up TDs and yardage over there in Buffalo, and he's not even on the field every snap because he's not rely- as reliable as Bellinger as a blocker. If the Giants can get their offense to that level, Bellinger, I think, can definitely eat as a receiver as well. So then you have the chance of finding like a really good starter in the fourth round that to me out of all the pick the players they picked on day three right now i'm looking at the whole class right now i don't think anyone in this class is anywhere near the ceiling of daniel bellinger now this is where it gets weird right because i think there's a path to what where you just said what you just said is correct but at the same time i think if the giants if the value aligns in the draft they shouldn't not take a tight end if they if they want to put another talented player at that position, because for me, it's not, hey, we need to upgrade our 11 personnel package because Daniel Bellinger is not good enough. It's, hey, we need to upgrade our 12 personnel package. And one way to do that is to find a tight end who can play alongside Daniel Bellinger. I'm very confident Daniel Bellinger playing out there, right? You can go in a variety of different ways in terms of finding another tight end. You can go with an athletic guy. You can go with a dual threat guy who is more of a, a blocker and and a receiver. But for me, man, you need to find some someone else to upgrade 12 personnel because down the stretch of the year, the Giants couldn't run the football in heavier personnel. It was negative. You know, you look at the EPA, it was really crap. And that's another reason I think that and the opponents they were playing, they transitioned to a more 11 personnel package. And also the addition of Isaiah Hodgins and how impactful he was for the team. But I'm all about in still finding another tight end who can play with Daniel Bellinger instead of kind of cycling in these Lawrence Cager, who I feel like is okay, but he's not necessarily a blocker. And the Giants just uh, resigned him, by the way. And then the uh, Nick Vinets of the world. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think it's a great point. And I think there's so many routes to discuss here and so many ways to unpack it. The first would be like, where do you feel comfortable taking one knowing you already have a Bellinger on the roster? Because no matter what, I'm interested in taking more tight ends and more tight ends of position. I am always interested in upgrading until you have two or three good ones on the roster. I think it helps so much, especially because look, like if the giants, let's say, like you said, the value lines, they really like, like let's say Dwayne Washington, they have this super grade on, right? Yeah. What are you, what are you laughing? At? Is this, no, I love it's it's Darnell, but I I, I love oh, him. Shit. I was thinking of Dwayne Washington, the the, the was it yeah. the running back on the Lions or the receiver? Yes. Um, I think he was on the Saints for a little bit, but yeah. I know who you're talking Darnell about. Darnell Washington, the Georgia He's tight insane. end, who's yeah. not even nearly as good as his teammate Rob Bowers, who's going to be like a top ten pick. But let's say they have a top 15, 20 grade on Washington. They're like, we love his frame. He's already going to immediately be like having a sixth offensive lineman on the field for run plays. And we kind of think he has a lot of untapped potential as a receiver. He's a top 10, top 15 grade. They take him at 25 overall, right? That doesn't mean that's the end of Bellinger. We already saw this year the Giants start to get creative with Bellinger. Remember those two route, those two plays where they had him as the H back? And so you can now have formations where you have Washington on the field and Bellinger on the field. Bellinger is your H back. Washington's your inline guy, or Bellinger kind of detaches to the one side of a three. You know, you have all these different things. You have two receivers in Washington. There's yeah. different ways to go about it. But in the end, ultimately, it's a position that is not like to me, like 
quarterback. Like you can continue to upgrade this position and not worry about it. Or let's say even like if you have your two defensive ends, Aziz and Kayvon, you probably don't want to take an edge high, right? Because how many snaps can you get all of them on the field for? You can get Washington, whoever it would be, you know, I like Musgrave, Washington, Mayer. There's a lot of really good tight ends at the top of this class. There There's is. four I really like, Kincaid. You say you love one of them. You take them at 25. You can still get them on the field for a lot of snaps, both Bellinger and that tight end. And I also want everyone to think about it this way, right? It's like a chess addition, right? Because if you add a Darnell Washington, somebody who can block as effectively as he can, and he has that receiving upside, we don't haven't really necessarily seen too much of it at Georgia. You put him in there, what does the defense do? How do they match it? What is their right. personnel that they can match? Because you're employing a 12 personnel package that has some athletic upside. Are they going to come out and nickel? If they come out and nickel, can you run the football down their throat? Are they going to match in base personnel? Which means there's going to be heavier linebackers out there, slower players. And now you can possibly catch them off play action because you have a guy like Darnell Washington who can take advantage of that mismatch against a linebacker and man coverage, what have you. So that chess right. element of it is something that really intrigues me. But I'm not advocating the Giants take Washington right now. It's still early in the draft process. I just I like the thought process behind upgrading the 12 personnel package. And on Daniel Bellinger, too, the guy had a rushing touchdown. Remember, they ran yeah. a double reverse to him. Yeah, against we had the, the option to pass the ball, too. I mean, we watched so much Giants film, Dan, right? Daniel Bellinger, the, the offense ran through Daniel Bellinger and Saquon Barkley down in the red zone. Yeah, that's a good there point. Was Bellinger so was so many plays. You, you said it earlier in the season when we were watching tape. You're like, I am so surprised, pleasantly, but you said, I'm so surprised at how many of these red zone designs are kind of through or for Bellinger, a rookie tight end, right? It's kind of the, the what they put on his plate as a, a fourth round rookie was shows me a lot of is a big reason why I'm so excited about him going forward. I think that can be boiled down to that. Like when you have a coaching staff who has that much trust in him and they're playing him in these different roles, and the H back, and he's a big red zone role. What is that telling you, at least about what they feel about him? And as far as should I trust this staff? Well, with one of them, just one coach of the year, right? The other is up for multiple jobs. Mike Kafka, the other was up for one job. Um, Wink Martindale, this is a good staff. They kind of know what they're doing to a massive degree to the point where we may have like even a top three coaching edge in the NFL. So if they love a guy, like they're kind of telling us with everything they've shown and done with Bellinger, that's probably a good sign moving forward. It's because he's reliable, but not yep. to get negative here. Not to get negative. The next two picks, we might not be as high on. Like <laughs> Daniel Bellinger in year one, that's a home run. And like you said, he was injured for a lot of the middle parts of the season with an eye injury, a serious one at that. But Dane Belton and Micah McFadden, let's start with Dane Belton. What are your overall thoughts here? Dane Belton had a golden opportunity in front of him, Dan. Xavier McKinney made that mistake, got hurt at Cabo. Right. He ends up starting the Houston game out of the bye week, misses a bad run fit, like terrible angle downhill, resulted in a 44-yard rush by Damian Pierce. And he played the next game against the Lions, where the Giants' defense was shit, and then he mm -hmm. didn't really play all that much the rest of the season other than Week 18. So and they stuff really like needed him with the injury in the Vikings game, too, after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... What are your thoughts on Dane Belton? Because it's uh wasn't a ringing endorsement down the stretch of the season for him. Yeah. So Bellinger 112 overall. Belton just two picks later at 114. They had that. That was one of the most fun parts of the draft uh to watch oh, yeah. for us. Like I love that when the Giants had that. It was the beginning of day three, too. And then we still had so many guys we liked. I'm much higher moving forward on Belton than McFadden. We'll get to McFadden after this. So the thing with Belton, I think Belton has a skill set that can be utilized at some point. 
with this coaching staff and with this system. And that skill set is he does a really good job with his mind and with his positioning of baiting quarterbacks into throwing the ball into spots where he kind of knows they're going to go to or knows they're going to want to go to, and then he tries to jump it. And he had a lot of near interceptions this year when he was actually playing, especially when you consider how few snaps he played overall. On a per-snap basis, he had a lot of almost picks. And almost picks aren't picks. But they're almost picks. They're good plays anyway. Like, we want that. That's very close to a turnover for the Giants defense and a game-changing play. He has that skill set. But what happened, in my opinion, is so blunt. Like, I don't think there's anything, oh, I don't know what happened. Why did he not play? It's literally just what you said. He was horrible in his run fits that game. And they're just like, we can literally not afford to have this guy on the field. Like, Pinnock, put him on the field. He's bigger. He's tougher. He'll come downhill hard. Like, you have no chance to win a football game if Dane Belton is fitting these runs. And they were kind of right in that game. They really didn't like they, he did a really bad job. And you just we've had safeties in the past like him. The kid who they drafted out of um, the Pac-12, whatever it was, Pat Darian Thompson, the kid who went to the, mm. the Cowboys. Yeah. He was so bad in his run fits and he couldn't stay on the field because of it. You're the last line of defense when you're playing that role once McKinney was out and you are responsible for those run fits. And when you're not good in them, you're going to be pulled immediately by a coach. It's almost like a fumble on the other side of the ball where like you have those coaches like Belichick who pull the guy immediately after fumble. I feel like Wink was like, dude, what the F was that? We can't, this is not football. We can't have this on our team. And so I still think that's not going to like this define who he is. He has to get better in that and he still can, but his skill set to me is very, um, I would say not complete right now. I'm right there with you. It's not fully complete. And think about what he did with the Hawkeyes too. Like he was a safety, but played a lot of overhang, a lot of apex, a little bit in the box. He was used kind of all over the place in their secondary. So when you ask him to play like the post safety, you know, the cover one safety, and then it's a run play and he has to come downhill and fill the B gap. He's just not great in those situations. And I feel like it was really on display on that Damian Pierce run that I brought up. But in terms of the interceptions that you brought up, he had two on the year. He could have had two against Lamar Jackson alone. One hit him, I think, in the face mask or the hands popped up and was almost caught by Mark Andrews, but ended up going incomplete. And then he had another one in that game where he undercut the route and Dexter Lawrence knocked the ball down at the line of scrimmage. But if Dexter Lawrence didn't, that That was was an interception. And that was just against Baltimore. I want to say there was another one against Carolina. That was Carolina. It was a little wide and he just missed it. Yep. He just missed it. But that one wasn't necessarily, I mean, there was a little bit of anticipation to it, but I think he's at his best man when he's playing like middle hook or he's dropping down and being the robber. Right. So he's, you know, playing two deep safety pre-snap two deep safety pre-snap. He drops down and he robs and he does such a good job understanding route concepts. He's very cerebral from that standpoint and then kind of baiting in one direction and knowing that if I influence the quarterback to throw over the middle of the field by going to my right, he's going to do that. And I'm going to freaking jump and undercut that. And that's something he did a lot at Iowa. So I think he can definitely be one of those pick magnets, but man, he needs to really upgrade his just ability to fit the run. Cause if you can't do that, you're not going to find the football field, nor should you either. And that's an issue, a little bit of an issue I had with him at Iowa too was just tackling and he would put himself in position. He's just a little bit wild. He's not as disciplined in his uh, mechanics, kind of going into the tackle point, staying square, things of that nature. So something that he can upgrade, hopefully, because I think there's a very usable skill set there. It's just uh, year one was a little bit of a disappointment. And that's interesting, too, because it's something that carried over the NFL. But I also think it's interesting because you mentioned like, you know, best fit might be if the Giants were running more split safety looks. The Giants aren't running a lot of split safety looks with Wink Marndale, and that number is going to get even 
greater once they have better corners they can rely on on the island, right? And once Wink gets the corners he wants there, he's going to run even more, you know, single high and different looks that are like. So in that sense, it's like, well, you don't really want Dane Belton up top in a cover one as that single high. Where else can you put him then? Because you're not going to have him rotate out of a two high into that robber role. You're going to just leave him in the middle. Like it's it it kind of makes his, I guess, role or fit a little bit murkier. And I think he also, when he's in man coverage, he thinks a little bit too much. I think mm. he has like the athletic capabilities, but he's kind not of. He's, he's a little stiff to me. A little stiff. Okay. And in one one play that I remember from his college tape against Wondell Robinson at the end of the season. Do you yeah, remember that, that play? Yep. Yeah, he had to cover the number three, which was Wondell Robinson. Robinson set him up and just blew past him. Split safety look. He was the uh, nickel defender, and Robinson made a catch and then got nailed by the Wondell Robinson, man. And I know we already talked about him, but damn that. He, he was so tough in college, dude. He's such a tough guy. I can understand why Dable, you know, smart, tough, dependable, was intrigued by, by his skill set, especially because he came up huge in that game to allow Kentucky to beat Iowa in that bowl game. Right. Yeah, he was the reason they got back into that. So, yeah, so – Moving past Belton, let's look at Micah McFadden, who was drafted at 146 overall. Interesting kind of, I would say, rookie season for him in the sense that the Giants linebackers were so freaking bad, the starters, they start the season. There was almost no way he wasn't going to get a crack to play some meaningful snaps this year. And he did ultimately get a crack to play some meaningful snaps. I think he had some snaps that were better than others, right? Like, I think he remind, he he's similar to what I kind of expected him to be coming into the NFL, which is a good player moving downhill on the line of scrimmage. Not a great player moving downhill, and I still don't think he was this year really at any point. He had a couple really nice run fits that stood out to me, Nick, where he just kind of like slammed his body into the into the gap and blew up the play, and I was like, all right, that's kind of what I expected. But in coverage, he had some lapses. He had situations where he just didn't know where to be in coverage. Then he had other, other situations where he didn't react fast enough, and then worse ones where he knew where to be or he reacted where to be, but he just didn't have the lateral agility and foot quickness to keep up with the route. And that's the scariest part about it all for me, I would say with Micah McFadden. Ultimately, I think he's a little bit too small to be what he wants to be or what like that version of player can be the best at. Like he reminded me the whole draft process of a poor man's Leo Chanel, who actually I just saw in another second Leo Chanel mention of the day, but somebody tagged me in this post. So shout out to the real MVP, the real Joe Smith. He said, uh, this one hurts Dan Schneier. And he said, P Leo Chanel was the only rookie linebacker this season with at least a 70 grade from pro football focus. So it wasn't even just this Super Bowl that he played well. And he really played well all the opportunities he got, but he reminded me the whole time of kind of like a undersized version of that type of player. So I just don't know where that kind of puts him moving forward for me, Nick, I guess like you can put him in short yardage situations and hope for the best. I, I, I just don't, I don't personally see the fit right now now i hope he surprises me and i hope i'm totally wrong and he gets really good in coverage and as a blitzer and things of that nature just gets maybe his instincts and his smarts take over but i'm curious where you kind of see him moving forward given his build and what his skill set is it's funny man this guy had 95 pressures in his final three seasons at indiana and he wasn't really used sacks too right i believe so i don't have the stats yeah. in front of me right there but he wasn't really used too much in that manner, and I'm wondering if it was just too much for him. There were times where they brought him out. He ended up with six pressures on the season. I remember one play against Washington where he – it was a completed pass, so you don't really remember, but it was like a delayed blitz, and he flew through the B-gap and absolutely annihilated Taylor Heineke. And I was like, that was a nice burst right there. And I feel like he does have good short area quickness and burst when he's coming downhill in the tackle box. I feel like he stays square. And one thing I absolutely love about him is he's very – 
I would say, I don't know if flexible is the right word because I don't think, I think he's stiff in coverage similar to Leo Chanel, but similar to Leo Chanel, and I feel like he's a poor man's version of Leo Chanel, he gets very low to avoid blocking or climbing up to the second level, right? And there are a lot of times when he would scrape over the C gap and he would kind of assume contain responsibility while the end man on the line of scrimmage before the snap kind of squeezes inside, you know, scrape type of concept see it all the time in the nfl and he gets so damn low taking on that block that he would execute that assignment well so within the tackle box i wouldn't say i was pleased because there were some blown assignments but you could see kernels of of a solid football player there yeah right but it gets bad in coverage and he was out of position a lot because we go back to the packer game remember xavier mckinney was telling him he he doesn't see the field i think for the first two drives he comes in on the third drive Xavier McKinney pre-snaps telling him like, yo, man, you need to get over. You need to get over. Play happens. Aaron Rodgers easily sees what's going on. Attacks. 12-year gain to Josiah DeGuara. Very three plays later, same exact thing happens. I think it was a different receiver. I think it was Aaron Jones, actually. And we didn't see Micah McFadden again until I think the Seattle Seahawks game playing defense. So that put a really sour taste in Wink Martindale's mouth. And down the stretch of the season, I didn't feel like he was terrible, right? I, I think there are some athletic limitations that that uh, probably resulted in him finding the bench. I feel like he would have like three good plays and then one really bad play, right? I feel mm-hmm. like stacking and shedding was something that he wasn't overly consistent at. Agreed. And at the end of at the end of the day, you get benched midseason, you get another opportunity, and then you get benched for a guy who the front office claimed off of the Lions practice squad. And that guy starts in week 18, which Micah McFadden did too, but starts in week 18 and then the wild card game and then the divisional game. Right. So that says a lot, right? That's a huge indictment. You were a healthy scratch in two of the most important games in the last decade for the New York Giants, sure. right? So like, ugh, that's that's rough. He's probably needs a lot of work. I, I think there are some athletic limitations that may cap his upside, but hey man, put your head to the grindstone and, and uh, try try to fix try to fix the little liabilities that you might have. And also the stuff that you do well, the reading, the reacting, right. the coming downhill, the penetrating, the taking on the blocks at times, get better at those, become more consistent with those. So you can at least earn some snaps on first and second down and maybe improve your pass ability a little bit later on in your career. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I like your breakdown, Nick, about, I thought he did do a good job in those spots of kind of scraping over to like the C gap, but also positioning himself. So if he needs to get back into the B gap, he could, and he can like, yeah, join in on the tackle and that's smart but i also think what you said is true the second part which was he's not really a great stack and shed linebacker and that's if you're not a great stack and shed linebacker you don't have the covered skills and you don't really have the frame or speed athleticism i don't know where the ceiling is for a prospect like that in general like i don't know how to get too excited about that um without kind of more of the athleticism there but we'll see what happens there because obviously the giants drafted him to play a role he played that role for a little bit, like you said, and then he kind of got fell out of the coach's favor. Um, there was this play against the Philadelphia Eagles where he was square with Boston Scott, and this was week 18. So almost maybe a trial between Gerard Davis and Micah McFadden going forward. And he was square to Boston Scott, and I don't remember exactly where it was in the game. Boston Scott juked him out of his shoes, and he dove at Boston Scott and missed by about two yards and swung his arm. And it was just one of those plays where you're like, how athletic are you, man? Like you got to make that tackle. Boston Scott's right. elusive, right? I feel like Boston Scott's a, a better running back than maybe he's given credit for just sure. because he's been kind of a backup. He's a smaller guy, whatever. But I'm wondering if like a play like that, like a missed tackle like that in open space 
about two yards from the line of scrimmage was something that the Giants coaching staff looked like. Like, let's let's roll the dice with Gerard Davis at this point. That could have been just a job opportunity thing right. in week 18. Like, who plays better? Are we comfortable enough going forward with our defense and this linebacker who's been here for a day, you know? And then yeah. they were. And they were. So we move on to their next pick. It was another four. It was a fourth round pick or sorry, it was the fourth pick. Is the second pick of the fifth round. My bad there. And that's DJ Davidson, the 25-year-old defensive tackle out of Arizona State. He had some injuries this year, played a little bit with the Giants. Where are you at now with Davidson? Hard to say. It's hard to say with DJ Davidson. I mean, he's a little bit of an older prospect. He's not like 27 or anything like that, but he's a little bit older. I think he's going to be like 24 or something like that. Coming off of, uh, I believe it was a torn ACL, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it was Achilles. I think it was a torn ACL suffered against the Green Bay Packers. I believe if he did not suffer that, Dan, he would have been a valuable contributor for the New York Giants in the Justin Ellis role. Cause I think that's what they wanted him to do. Justin Ellis would have been that veteran who would have came in every now and again, probably wouldn't have seen that much Ryder Anderson and Henry Mondu probably would have done a much better job than all three of those players. So right now, man, coming off a torn ACL, I would say the giants are probably going to invest in that position. So he's has a little bit of an uphill battle, but he's going to have a roster spot on the cheap for a little bit. And I'm pulling for him because I would love for, him to come back and use all 335 pounds or whatever the hell he is. Cause he's a bigger dude, man. But tearing your ACL in your rookie season like that, when you're a late right. day three pick, it's, it's rough to come back from. Yeah. We'll have to see. I don't know for sure. Depending on how that rehab goes, he might have a uphill battle just to make the roster. I know, look, you can look at it like he is cheap and under team control for another three years after this past one, like this year and two more after it. But at the same time, they've been able to do a really good job. The Giants, at least in recent years, not so much this year, but sort of with Jihad Ward of just finding pieces for cheap anyway on free and free agency, like Austin Johnson, Mario Edwards, those types of players. So it's not as much of a priority. I don't think to hold on so long. I remember they held on a long time during the Gettleman era to RJ McIntosh, like oh, yeah. much likely much more lo- uh, longer than they probably should have. But obviously Gettleman had a lot of that hubris. He did that with Beal as well. It was a big Gettleman thing. Like I made these picks. I'm, I'm right on these guys. We just need to give them more time type of thing. That's the type of GM he was. But um, yeah, I had, to take a, I had to take at least one shot. It's been a while. But I don't know if that'll be the same case with Shane and Dable. They might move on faster from guys that they don't feel, especially positions like defensive tackle. It's going to be interesting. I would rather have a DJ Davidson on the roster coming back from an injury than a Henry Mondu and players same. like that. Yeah, yeah. So I hope he can get healthy. It was an injury suffered, I think, in like early October. Again, it was against the Packers in London. So that's where I'm at with him. But I don't have any expectations for him going forward. But whatever he provides is basically just a cherry on top. And I think that's also, you know, what you just mentioned about, you know, I'd rather have him even coming off a torn ACL. We don't know he's going to come back for sure for camp. He might miss a week or two of the season type of thing over a Mondu is more to me like a statement on where the Giants defensive line depth was at. They went into the season with really bad defensive line depth and it played a big role in their demise down the end of the season. You know, they didn't really have edges who could set the edge well in the run game. Even Thibodeau is decent at that. Not great at that. Jihad Ward was okay at it. It was pretty good, but then you lose something when you have him on the field. And, you know, you had guys back in the past. You had B.J. Hill. You had guys, Austin Johnson, but those guys were gone. They, they didn't have the cap space to keep all those guys. Or, you know, you had to panic trade one for Billy Price, who's now out of the NFL or with Cardinals practice squad or whatever it is. So it's like, you know, you made these moves to get yourself in the position, but where we're at right now, you don't want to cry over spilled milk. Fine, but regardless where we're at right now, we need defensive line depth. Like this is now a big priority for the Giants. They have to, I don't know how they're going to do it there. And the good news is there's a lot of ways to do it. 
unrestricted free agency. There's a ton of guys. They could find another DJ Davidson in round four this year, round five this year, whatever it may be. But that's something that's on my mind for sure in the day three of this draft. I'm right there. You need to find depth. You need to find depth. And similar to DJ Davidson, the next two picks as well were... Yeah, we know nothing about, unfortunately. Unfortunately, Marcus McKethan tore his ACL at the blue and white scrimmage that you and I were at. And then Darian Beavers tore his ACL in the preseason game against the Cincinnati Bengals. I can't say much about McKethan other than the fact that he is very large and he had solid movement skills for a man who was very large while he played at UNC. I did think he was a little bit slow footed for an NFL player. But when you are that big, you subscribe to the planet theory that George Young always talked about, like people who are that size typically don't have the type of body control and the type of athletic ability to move in that manner. And like I said, he's not like an excellent athlete or anything like that, but for someone who's almost 340 pounds or whatever the hell he is, like 330 pounds, he can move. So have him on the roster, see how he does, but coming back from a torn ACL, it's devastating. As for Darian Beavers, that's one that I think can have an impact in 2023 because if he did not tear his ACL, like say if all three of these players didn't get injured, DJ Davidson, he would have had a solid role as a backup to spell Dexter Lawrence. McKeithen, he probably would have been a practice squad player. But Darian Beavers would have started. And I think he would have started maybe as early as week one because he was ahead of Micah McFadden on the depth chart in training camp. Everyone was talking about how how just sturdy he was, how smart he was, and just how he wasn't playing like a six-round pick. And remember, a lot of draft nicks and and things like that, they were saying that Darian Beavers was going to be a day-two pick, and he falls to the sixth round. This is somebody who was an edge rusher at UConn, goes to Cincinnati, and gets transitioned to off-ball linebacker, but is still used in a variety of different ways. That's why a lot of people were like, oh, this guy is going to either a Patrick Graham coach defense or Bill Belichick coach defense or Brian Flores coach defense. Cause he's just a big body that you can use all over the front seven. He comes to the New right. York Giants. I think he, yeah, he wouldn't have been the best in coverage, but man, you could have used him very, in a very fun manner as a blitzer. And I think just within the tackle box, he would have been much more sturdy and yes. better than a Micah McFadden and a Jalen Smith and a Gerard Davis. So I hope he can come it's back like healthy edge better than some of the guys they have oh. on this roster. And he would have got snaps at edge too. Yeah. Just because, I mean. right? Yep. Yeah, Why think not? about Jahad. Jahad yeah. Ward's 290 pounds, right? right? That's a defensive tackle, essentially. He played edge. I think right. Darian Beaver, they would have leaned on that in certain packages just to give different yes. looks depending on matchups and against certain tight ends and whatnot, right? Like if they had that so, game against the Eagles in the divisional round where they're getting beat, their asses beat in the run game over and over, you don't think at some point they might have moved uh, Ward and Beavers to both edges and been like, all right, we're going to do it. You're coming off the field, Kayvon. Like, we need to figure out how to stop the run. Like, however we can do it. There's a chance they could have done something like that, too. Yeah, they might have needed him at linebacker, though. Because yeah, linebacker, they probably would have needed him at linebacker. <laughs> they don't even have many options there. You don't really have yeah. the options. But again, like, like got to be fair, too, right? He's going to have to earn that. It's an yeah. uphill battle being a six-round pick coming off of a torn ACL. But if he can be healthy by training camp and then build on what he did during the 2022 training camp, he might have a spot as a starter. He could possibly earn that because right possibly. now the New York the New York Giants need two starting linebackers. They don't yeah. have one. The only ones who are under contract right now are Micah McFadden, who we already kind of know what the coaching staff thinks of him, and he has an uphill battle, and Darren Beavers, who's coming off a torn ACL. We're imagining the Giants are going to invest either in free agency or in the draft, but they're probably not going to pay like Tremaine Edmonds or TJ Edwards and then yeah. spend a first-round pick. So yeah. even if they get a day-two guy, Darren Beavers could realistically still beat him like he beat Micah McFadden, who was selected several picks before him. So he's still in the running, but it's an uphill climb.
I think you broke it down great. He's the wild card. He's the guy that you look at from day three, and you know you have kind of the not star, but insane value play pick in Bellinger because I think it's trending in that direction. You look at the rest of the guys, you, it is what it is. I don't know how much of an upside you can see, but then you have the wild card, I think, in Beavers, where there is up definite upside for as far as next season goes. Anyone could develop down the line. Like McFadden can become a much better player than he is now, Belton, or any of these guys. McKeithen could randomly, but Beavers for next season feels like the guy who, okay, you're looking for guys who might be able to contribute next year in a significant way. Well, you got Bellinger. Who else? Beavers might be the next guy out of this entire day three draft class. And a lot of these other guys are going to be competing with the 2023 NFL draft class, which, as we said, bro, it could be different because Joe Shane now has his front office in place. He's been scouting for the New York Giants, not the Buffalo Bills. So we could see maybe some some different things than what we saw from the 2022 go around. For sure. All right, we'll wrap it up there. That was our review. Three parts of the Giants 2022 draft class, a monumental draft class, one that will probably, in my mind at least, define the Joe Shane era, depending on how these guys progress and develop over time. Keep it locked and loaded, Big Blue Banter. Off-season coverage will turn now to the 2023 season with the Super Bowl over. We're going to start to take a look at the Giants' own free agents and their big decisions coming up. Then we're going to get into actual free agency when it rolls around and finally the draft. So a lot of coverage coming for those who weren't with us last year and are new to the show from either the start of this season, the playoffs, or at any point this year. During the month of April, we will have a podcast every day, most likely. I mean, we did it the past two years. I can't imagine that changing too much. Um, we're bringing in different uh, different draft analysts and guests, former players, coaches, guys who are film guys in the college game. Uh, we will also be doing draft profiles on a lot of these prospects. We'll be doing things like our top five wide receivers and top targets for the Giants, sleepers, breakouts, busts, all things like that, all draft coming up. That starts most likely um, the end of March is I feel like when we ramped it up last year, right. Or basically the second week of March after the, um, free agency is kind of settled the first round of it. And then there's kind of those slower second and third round periods of free agency, but we might start to get a couple profiles in actually before that, um, on the back end of February and early March, we, we have a little bit more time this year, so we'll see what we do there, but yeah, keep it loaded because the big off season for the giants, we're really excited to cover it.